So I'm speaking with uh, Darius Holbert, who's a fantastic composer, and he scored uh, some great films like Hobo with a Shotgun, uh, the comedy western series Quick Draw, and the much-talked-about documentary uh, Trophy Kids from Peter Berg. Darius also won Best Score at the Moondance International Film Festival for a score to Oh, The Places You'll Go. Uh, Darius, thanks so much for, uh, for talking today. Happy to be here. So uh, to start, uh, what initially uh, got you into music, and what was that kind of turning point that pushed you towards composing? Uh, let's see here. Uh, how far back you want to go? As far, as far <laughs> yeah. back as you want. I, I grew up in a musical family, um, mm-hmm. so there was always music going on. My, both my parents are musicians, and and I went uh, I went to performing arts high school in Dallas about a hundred years ago now, and um, it was always kind of the the plan was always for me to do to do music. You know, I really um, I was I was part of um, part of a lot of little groups and coming up like I was uh, I was part of the touring choir the Texas Boys Choir uh in the late eighties I guess it was and then um went on to do uh to do the performing arts thing at, at the high school. Um and then there was a brief foray where I was totally burnt out and thought I was convinced I was uh, gonna be an anthropologist. <laughs> went to the <laughs> University of New Mexico where for a year, I took my first survey course in anthropology and realized it was really boring. So I ran right over to uh, back to the music department, and then uh, then I moved to London, went to um, the Royal Academy wow. uh, for a bit, and then came back to Texas and finished at the University of North Texas um, with a degree in composition and piano performance. And um, and then I then I, I was at the same kind of time during all that sort of classical and jazz training. I was I was playing a lot of honky tonks and. And uh, and running around on the Chitlin circuit with a with a band out of Texas, um, a, a number of different bands, but I was fronting a, a rock band as well too. So I was doing that whole thing, and then um, I decided to move to LA. I got commissioned to write an opera um, in I guess it was two thousand two thousand one, I guess. And uh, I took that money and I went to my parents have a house in way northern New Mexico. It's way up in the mountains, eighty five hundred feet or so. And I had this romantic notion that I was going to go up there and write the greatest opera the world has ever seen. <laughs> and and, uh, and it didn't turn out that way. It's funny what solitude does to, the, does to a person's brain. I was convinced after a while that there were mountain men coming after me and they were somehow in collusion with bats uh, that they had trained to, to get me. Uh, and I didn't see anybody for about, I guess it was almost about two months. And I talked to my sister on the phone. She's like, I think you maybe need to come down the mountain. <laughs> so she was living in L.A. at the time. And I said, all right, well, I'll tell you what, I've got half my stuff here. You're probably right. So I left. I left there and I moved, moved straight to L.A. And as soon as I got to L.A., I was doing a bunch of uh, bunch of session work and playing with any band that I could, could get involved with. Um, so doing touring and, and session stuff and, uh, and just playing out as much as I could and, and, and meet as many people as I could. And then so for for a while, for a good long while, a few years, I was um, just strictly playing in bands, doing some artist development, some record producing, um, but mainly session stuff and, uh, and musical directing of, of different different acts, a bunch of pop acts. I work with a ton of different people, um, which I, I feel like sort of uh, was it was a great way to kind of inform my um, capacity to, to to kind of jump from genre to genre because I was doing mm-hmm. a bunch of bunch of hip hop stuff, I was doing a little country stuff, a bunch of pop acts. I was working with Diane Warren. I musical directed Britney Spears and her erstwhile husband K Fed, which is hilarious. There's <laughs> clips of 
me performing with Kate Fed on uh, the Tonight Show. Do not Google that. Do not do not look at it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so um, and then I started kind of getting burnt out. Um, I, about three years ago or so, I was out for about six months on the road, and and uh, I've been married, and I we just recently had a had a daughter, and it was touring was kind of getting. Uh, it's it's a young man's game, and uh, so I started getting back into composition, which is what my original degree was. Um, and I was working with a composer um, here in town. He was a good friend of mine, um, and he was doing a lot of a lot of stuff for ABC, a lot of promos, and a lot of television stuff. And then uh, a couple of indie films kind of came his way, and um, I started doing some writing for him. And then slowly but surely, I got um, him to kind of just hand the reins over on a few of them to mm-hmm. me. I mean, you know, some of the lower budget, really not very well done films, but mm-hmm. there were some stuff that I could kind of sink my teeth into and, and really kind of learn the ropes. And it was, it was such a, it was such a cathartic moment when I first started really sitting down by myself and scoring again, cause it really did feel like coming home. You know, I, I cause I had done composition kind of all my, all my life too. And, and writing, and it's just more my, more my wheelhouse. And I can, you know, work in my, work in my drawers all day and uh, sleep in my bed at night and I have to be out on the road um, and, and make a lot more money and be a lot more satisfied creatively, you know? So, um, so ever since then, I haven't really looked back. I don't, I don't tour at all anymore. And I still get phone calls about, you know, trying to come out again and, uh, and play out. And every now and again, I'll, I'll play out some, but it's been, it's only just for my own edification and enjoyment and just to kind of get out of the house and stuff. But, uh, but we, um, we have been in New York, based in New York for about the past two years and I was flying back and forth to LA. Um, but we just recently sort of moved the base of operations back to LA and it's great to be back in Los Angeles and be able to, um, to, to be fortunate enough to make a, make a living making music. So wow, that's a great story. I mean, that's, I think there's a movie in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. um, but so, so tell me a little bit about your, your process. Uh, so what's the first thing you do uh, when you start working on a project? Do you, do you read the script? Do you like to talk to the director first? Or do you just want to watch the first cut of the film? What, what kind of a, is the initial step in your creative process? It all kind of, it depends. It really depends on what the project is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, get, I get involved a lot. Um, I would say m- the majority of the time I meet with a production team. Um, with the director and producers and uh, and then we'll kind of figure out whether or not we're a good fit and then they'll send me a script. Um, sometimes I'll get approached uh, before, like if some people know me from other stuff that mm-hmm. I've done, then they'll, um, they'll just shoot me a script or they'll send my manager a script and and he'll check it out and then see if we'll see if it's a good fit from there. Um, sometimes I'll even get involved at the script stage, even before they started shooting. I don't really like to do that because there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that changes in, right. in film production, you know. Um, in fact, the first, I think the first time I did it, I got involved before even they had cast the thing. Um, and I went back and forth to the director about themes and he wanted something really thematic for all these different characters. And I went back and forth on this one character and then we kind of got it to the place <clears throat> where we wanted and then they went off to, to do the production and then came back and I saw the first rough cut and I was like, uh, hey, hey, where's that where's that character that we wrote so much for? And he's like, oh, yeah, we cut that guy a long time ago. So great. <laughs> With a lot of kind of, you know, spinning of the wheels and right. things like that. But t- typically the, typically what will happen is I'll get, like I said, I'll, I'll meet with the production team and either, either they've sent me the script already or they sent me a rough cut even. 
I'm, I try not to get involved before the picture is locked, before they're not going to, you know, make any final tweaks. Mm-hmm. Um, or sorry, after they made all their final mm-hmm. tweaks. Um, uh, and then, and then we'll just kind of talk about like, we'll talk about um, impetus, like influences, like things that sort of in, help inform the score, what they had pictured, what they, you know, other scores that they like. Um, I'll always have them go through my site um, and and through my reel and see kind of what they're drawn to mm-hmm. from from other stuff that I've done, and then uh, and then we'll sit and we'll spot the film usually, which is just basically everybody gets in in the room usually in my studio or or in an edit bay at the production office and we'll just kind of talk through the whole thing and we'll make tons and tons of notes and we'll talk about specific like ins and outs for music and like, and then I'll, then I'll start doing kind of sonic palette stuff where we just talk about instrumentation and I kind of throw some, some ideas together and stuff like that. And then once you get all that squared away, then then we're kind of off to the races. Well, that's really cool. That's an awesome process. Um, so you, you're scoring the, the Hulu original series Quick Draw, uh, which is uh-huh. a comedy western, and westerns are my, my favorite genre. So how did you even begin to approach something like that? Do you look at it as a comedy first, then a western? So what did the music need to do in that kind of context? Well, they had the producers had a fairly specific idea of what they wanted. They wanted to do something that was really it was really pretty derivative, like based on sort of the Morricone stuff, the kind of spaghetti Western right. kind of over the top, which is super fun to score. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also wanted, it was hilarious because when I first had the initial meetings with them, they were really hung up on the idea of having the Jews harp, which is the kind of the mouth harp thing. Um, that sounds like, you know, you mm-hmm. see them all on a corny old, old timey Westerns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really up on this. So they, like, I was like, okay, great. Um, so we started kind of kicking around these ideas, and they said that they really wanted to rely heavily on the Jews harp throughout the score, which it's, it's kind of a limiting instrument because it's really just basically one note, sort of like rhythmic mm-hmm. um, more than anything else. But they, they had this one, this one piece of music that they were absolutely in love with. And so I, I, I looked around actually for like a Jews harp um, uh, expert, like a virtuoso. <laughs> I don't really think that they exist. Uh, I put up ads on like Craigslist and, and a whole bunch of Mandy.com, a whole bunch of places, and nobody, everyone was like, oh, well, I play the flute. I'm sure I can do this. I'm like, no, no, I need somebody to really good. <laughs> and I couldn't get anybody to respond. It was the weirdest thing. And so, um, so I actually, um, I was like, well, maybe I'll just buy a bunch of Jews harps and I'll teach myself. So I bought a whole bunch of them. And I started looking on YouTube and then, you know, taking these little lessons from these little tiny clips from different people around the world that had, you know, had exhibiting different techniques or whatever. And I taught myself and I got, I got pretty good, I guess. But the producers would, would send me these notes back after the initial time. Like, it's not quite right. Like, it sounds good. It's not quite right. And it was this one specific clip that they loved so much. And I could not figure out how to emulate it. So I actually reached out to three of the world's foremost Jews harp experts. And by the way, I'm saying Jews harp. Every time I say it, I still feel kind of weird about it because it sounds vaguely racist. <laughs> they, yeah. they insist, all three of these people, and one, one person was in Thailand, one person was in Australia, and another person was in, uh, I think, Seattle, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. 
And they all say, no, it's absolutely juice harp. It is not jaw harp. It is not mouth harp. It's nothing but juice harp. But it has nothing to do with Judaism. It's right. for some reason just been sort of a... And it, it, they also all claim that it's the world's oldest instrument. I, I, I don't know if I'd buy that, that it's older than like somebody's stringing some animal skin across some bones and making a drum right, or right. something like that. But they all claim that it was. Anyways, so I sent this clip to all three of these guys and they're all like, they all ran their own little message boards and they're all like, and they, I think the bulk of them built their own instruments as well. And I sent it to all three of them and two of them got back to me and said, Oh, you're looking for this very specific kind of juice harp, which is actually not a juice harp. It's uh, but it's the same kind of like technology and it's from Vietnam and it's called the Dan Moy or whatever. So I was like, okay, well I, n- I need the Dan Moy. <laughs> so I actually bought, a few of these things, and uh, they sent them to me, and I learned how to play them. They're really different. Uh, learned how to play those too, and then the producers are absolutely ecstatic because it was exactly what they were looking for. Wow. And so now, if you ever know anybody who needs, like I did, a juice harp virtuoso, just call me because I am incredibly <laughs> skilled. <laughs> well, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's... but it's a, it's it's a super fun score. It's really like like I said, it's really it's derivative. So I get to throw in a lot of like whip cracks and like uh-huh. the, you know have some like virtual modeling whistling and <laughs> a lot of <gasps> and a lot of like super trimmed out guitars and yeah, it's it's really fun, man. Uh, yeah, I guess it is since it is a comedy. You can definitely just throw kind of everything at it and absolutely, yeah, so absolutely have a blast. Yeah, kind of more more over the top, the the better. Right, right. Yeah, yeah so it's been, it's been super fun. <laughs> and uh, so you also scored uh, Trophy Kids for Peter Berg, uh, which is a fascinating documentary about um, like kids who play sports in school and their parents and that kind of relationship. Um, so what about this story fascinated you as a, star- as a storyteller? Well, it's, it's funny because the, um, when I, I saw the original Rough Cut, this was early on kind of in the process, um, and the rough cut was really long, and it had tons and tons of footage. And mm-hmm. a lot of the, I, I had just become a parent, well, not, not a parent, but a father, uh, you know, fairly recently, right when I had seen the rough cut, it was last year sometime. And uh, I played sports all growing up and everything, but uh, these parents are just, it's, it's really borderline. It may, almost made me want to call Child Protective Services <laughs> uh, just because of the way that they treated these kids. And it was right. un unbelievable i mean because you know there, i think there's a fine line between being involved in uh, in making sure your child progresses in a in a positive way and and really kind of beating them up if they if they don't you know yeah. sort of fulfill these goals that you've set for them um and the funny thing was is that when i was looking at the at the original the rough cut and the raw footage i mean they, they really pulled together some amazing amazing stuff i don't uh, I don't understand how these how these parents thought it would be a good idea to behave the way they did on camera, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's in, it's incredible the the stuff that they got. But it's really heart wrenching a lot of the stuff to see these kids just you know really get beat up on. I mean not not physically abused, but incredibly you know mentally and emotionally abused. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we worked we worked originally with the with the rough cut, and we're kind of building building it together, um, and then. They got it to a point where they liked it, um, and then Peter Berg brought it to HBO because he was going to start this um, this new series, which is now running, which Trophy Kids kind of kicked it off. It's called um, State of Play. Right, right. And it's basically like a doc series for HBO, and it's sort of 
it's talking, it's panels discussing uh, current topics in sports, and then they will show like a, a portion of a documentary or a full documentary. It's, it's similar to kind of thirty for thirty what ESPN has done mm-hmm. so well, um, but it's really cool. This new state of play is really is really cool because it's got it, it sort of is a broad range of topics, and I thought Trophy Kids was a really good way to start because the story itself is such a, um, I feel like it's, there, there's, there's always been stage parents. There's always been parents that want to push their kids and do the whole thing and whatever. But I feel like it's sort of a, it's a really contemporary um, idea of having, basically molding your child into becoming the perfect athlete is a fairly contemporary story. I mean, right. it's a fairly like current story and, because it's such a it's such a viable career choice, and it it hasn't been always that way, obviously. Um, so I think that like being able to kind of tell tell that part of the story, and then it's it's just it's wrought with emotion. I mean, there's so much of the footage that they got, which is incredibly sad. There's a lot of great triumph in it. There's a lot of so as a as a composer, it's, it was really fun to work on, just because it really does it really you 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 can you can help inform the story and also kind of push it along with. Um, with sort of making the emotional resonance through the through the music. Mm-hmm. And do you find that you approach documentary differently than a fictional narrative? Do you uh, take into consideration that these are real people, and does that affect the way you approach the music? No, I think it's probably the same. I mean, it's it's still the same story, whether it's a whether it's a character or it's actually you know actual actual mm-hmm. verite. I think that um, it's there's still great document documentarians make a documentary feel like a movie anyways with right, a, with, right. with a film you know it's like a lot of great docs you think well there's no way that they could even write this you know it's such it's even so much better than than any kind of fiction and there's always great arcs you know character arcs and it's the same thing and i i feel like that um yeah i don't i don't really think that there's any difference that's an interesting question i don't i don't feel like there's any any difference in the way that i look at it um Except, except maybe that if it is a documentary, then you don't want to be super um, anachronistic with the kind of music that mm-hmm. you're writing. Like you have to write fairly if it's a contemporary piece. But I guess that would be the same thing if it was fiction. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, it's, because I talked to a few composers. I asked that question too, and some of them kind of most of them say what you say, and they say they don't they treat it as exactly the same. But there are a few people who who say that they get more, I guess, emotionally invested in the subject matter. Or behind the characters, or behind the or the people, because they're real people, and it, it does kind of influence, I guess, the way they approach it musically. I guess maybe with more respect and more refinement. But you know, I think it's an interesting, sure. interesting way to look at it. Um, yeah, that is interesting. I have to think about that some more. So, you, and another recent film you also did uh, a completely different genre is Old Thirty Seven, which is kind of a the horror thriller. Uh, yep. world. Uh, so what, what appeals to you most about that genre? And in your opinion, what makes a great horror score? Wow. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think, uh, well, number one, as far as Old 37, we we're just now getting to the point where we're, we haven't even spotted it yet, but mm-hmm. I've been working, I've been working with the production team for, for quite a while. Um, and that's, it's, we're rolling that out really quickly. I think that they're done with the fine cut. I think maybe even this week. Uh, I'm super excited about that because that I, I read the script. I, I was friends with the with the writer, um, and I got the script pretty early on, even before I think that they were really even in pre-production. And uh, and it was 
it was cool. It was a really cool, compelling story, and especially the way that he presented it. I don't, I don't know if you if you know Paul Trower. He's a great guy. Um, he 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 had a dream about. I, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. He had a he had a dream. It was almost the film in its entirety, basically that about these two brothers that their dad has this old ambulance and they basically are are listening to the to the scanner and they get to uh they hear about accidents and they'll take their dad's old creepy beat up ambulance to the scene of the accident before the actual EMT show up. Um and so that was his dream. He woke up and wrote it down, almost completely wrote it down, like almost immediately apparently. And uh, I thought that was such a crazy, yeah. terrifying, terrifying <laughs> premise <laughs> to a, to a to a film. I was really excited about getting to work on it, and uh, so yeah. So then I even went out to set when they were shooting, and they shot in Long Island last year, um, last year, and then some this year as well. I went out to set too, and they got man, the sets were terrifying. Everything was really, really super creepy, and it was uh, the day that I went out it was really cold and rainy, and and it was awesome. Um, so I'm really excited to work on that because. Uh, to answer your second question, because like horror is, is I would suggest is at least fifty percent driven by the music. Yeah. Um, that it really like I actually I was just I just finished scoring another horror film. Um, actually, last week we wrapped um, for this guy who works at Blumhouse, which is um, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Paranormal Activity. Um, yeah. So I just finished a, a, a film for that guy, and and he he's like. He, he he said it perfectly. He said, "You know, I, I sat down one day and I watched Paranormal Activity with the sound off, and it was the most boring movie I've ever seen in my life. You know, because it it you you don't get and even though the score, especially in Paranormal Activity, is there's very little score, mm-hmm. but it's still like it still really kind of like pushes the story so much when it comes to horror because all the anticipation and all the it's so hard to get that when it's just quiet. You know, right, right." Um, so it's super fun to work on horror, and that's why I've, I've worked on a lot of horror. Uh, it was never really my intention to be <laughs> to be so heavily involved in all horror stuff because I I wouldn't I love horror films, but I wouldn't consider myself like a, a horror guy. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like this guy that I finished, just finished the, the film for last week. I mean, he is a horror guy. He kept you know bringing me over different DVDs and like you gotta watch this, watch this, and these films I never heard of, and I watched them. And they were terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> They're terrifying, but I would I would have never really. That's not I'm not a genre guy like that. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, but yeah, the um, to so to be able to work on horror films that is a is a real treat because it's not you're not necessarily just um, giving like underlying cues you're actually driving the story yeah. you know there's a lot there's a lot where like a lot of times especially if it's like a dialogue heavy film or it's a you know like some sort of drama or even comedies really the cues are kind of like function as bumpers almost like they kind of they go like transitions basically between one scene to the next or you know if you want to heighten some kind of sense then you put a little you know string flourishes or or some kind of like you know dramatic sweeping strings or whatever but with with horror it's a lot of like there's a lot of quiet you know there's a lot of a lot of anticipation before the big scares or there's a lot of mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of moments that that where the 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 music really sits on top of the rest it's not sort of ancillary to the story it's not underneath the dialogue it's not underneath the ffx or the you know adr foley or whatever it's really sitting on top and, and, and driving it and i think that uh, as a as a composer that's great because then you really get to you get to sit in the driver's seat and that's super fun absolutely yeah, yeah. well to uh to wrap up i always like to ask composers uh this one question 
If you could score any film ever made with no disrespect to the original composer and pretending the original score never existed, uh, which film would you choose? Oh, damn. <laughs> uh, how long do I have to think about it? Three, three seconds. I could take an. I, I talk about that for an hour. I'm sure. But what's the first thing that pops in your head? The first, like. You know what I thought about is that I'm. I'm originally from Texas, and I'm a huge fan of westerns. And I think. I've been. I, well, I'm also in pre-production on this on this other western, uh, short western film that's coming up, and I'm really thinking about westerns a lot. And I think mm-hmm. I want to do a big, sweeping, epic like giant. Oh wow! A giant movie with uh, Rock Hudson and yeah, Avian Fest. Yeah, something like that would be super, super fun. And I haven't, I haven't been able uh, to do any films that are really like the big kind of epic three-hour, you know, because mm-hmm. they they don't really get made anymore. I know big, big movies like that, you know. But that's yeah, that's funny. I wonder why that pops in my head. That's a great question, though. That's a good and answer. Gonna... <laughs> I think <laughs> I think. Uh... The only other composer who's ever said giant was um, Elliot Goldenthal, so you share that with him. <laughs> really? Yeah. No kidding. That's funny. Um, but, oh, cool. uh, Darius, thank you so much uh, for your time today. It was such a great pleasure and honor to talk to you, and it was so much fun. Thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having such great questions.